How many of you guys, when somebody says something or does something to you that's not very nice, you want to get them back? Anybody? A couple of you willing to be honest? Uh, yeah. I mean, if we're really honest, right? How about stretch, let's stretch you back a little bit. I was thinking about this yesterday. Um, I, I coach a couple of my boys in basketball. And uh, we were actually complimenting, I was, I, was I was extremely proud of them. The ref complimented them after the game because the other team was saying some things and doing some things and the guys, my guys, did, they didn't respond. They just played the game. I was like, yeah, good. And then some parent made a comment and I, I almost blew it. <laughs> I said, well, he complimented the team, but here goes the coach. Because some parent made a comment about one of the boys. I was like, you're 38, he's 11, you need to stop. Uh, but they did, they did amazing. And, um, but that also made me think this past week. I mean, I remember when I played sports. And anybody play sports and you had somebody on the other team do or say something that you wanted to get them back for? Anybody? There, more people raise their hand for that one. All right. Okay. Um, I remember playing basketball, and when the guy I was playing against would be saying stuff under his breath, or I was a, a forward, I was a post player, and down there, the refs don't always look, and so there's lots of elbows and pushing and shoving and stuff, and um, I, I wouldn't say anything back because our coach had a rule. If we talked to the other team or we said anything to the ref except, yes, sir, we were done for the day. <laughs> uh, he did not want any, he didn't want us getting a technical because of our actions. He said, you don't talk to him. He said, that's my job. And so... I knew I wasn't allowed to say anything because I wanted to play. I didn't want to sit. Um, and, and, but when the elbows are flying, you know, you want to sharpen yours a little bit and do a little back and forth. Well, this past week, I heard a lot of stories about a basketball player, Kobe Bryant. And one really stood out to me in among the others, and they all kind of lined up. Uh, but it was a guy he played against was telling this story um, this past week. And he said... When they were playing, there was one particular game they were playing, and the guy who's telling the stories on the opposing team from the Lakers, <clears throat> and he said, you know, guys, especially at that level, yeah, they talk trash all over the time, and they say all kinds of things under their breath, sometimes not so under their breath, and you know, there's guys on my team, we, would, we scored four, you know, four points, six points, and we're saying all kinds of stuff and doing all kinds of this. He said in that game, Kobe didn't say anything. He didn't say anything. He said, it blew my mind. I mean, we're saying some, not, some really not very nice things. And he didn't say one word. And they said, yeah, what happened in that game? He said, well, he just went out and scored over and over and over again. Yeah, and they said, okay, what was the final deal there? Well, that was the game that Kobe scored 81 points. They said, he didn't have to talk back. He just played. He didn't have to say this. He didn't have to get retribution. He just lived it out on the court. He didn't need to. Now, a lot of times, and again, I'm speaking for me, not you, a lot of times in the, moment, in the heat of the moment, we want to strike back, right? I mean, somebody says something, and we just want to, yeah, well, you don't even know. and We don't, we don't even want to come back with, with you know, uh, equal punishment, equal retribution. We want to drop an A-bomb in their life and just let it go and just say, I'm going to finish this deal. You want to start it? That's fine. I'm going to finish it right now. And we want to just say what we want to say and do what we want to do and, and strike them right back with as much heat and fire as we can. I, I mean, it's, I do. Being transparent, maybe you're not. Half of you didn't raise your hand, so you're either awesome or liars. Um, I'll give you the benefit of the doubt on that one. Um, 
Well, Jesus here in Matthew chapter 5 speaks right to this issue. I mean, just nails it on the head. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 5, uh, verse 38 is where we're going to start. It's on page 810. If you want to use one of the Bibles on the rack, it'll be on the screens. It's also on our website. If you want to hit it up with your smartphone, duqueen.church, and you can find all the notes and scripture and, and the whole deal there on the main card, today's sermon. Jesus has given the Sermon on the Mount, and the Sermon on the Mount is, is Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, and it's Jesus describing to a crowd of people who are starting to follow him. They don't really know what it means to be a follower of Jesus, but they're starting to. And so Jesus gives this Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount, as a description of what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus. He said, okay, you want to follow me? Here's what it's supposed to look like. And here in Matthew chapter 5, verse 38, he continues with a pattern that he's doing in his teaching. Look at that verse. Jesus says, you have heard it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. They, all right, now we're getting into it. They, they want to hit me, I'll hit them right back. They hit me in the arm, I hit them right back. You know, if they do this to me, then I'll get them right back. That's, he, he says, you've heard it was said this way, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Anybody ever heard a version of that phrase? An eye for an eye, right? That's justification. Well, even when that, that, you know, these kinds of things were originally said, even in Old Testament scripture, in the Jewish scripture, it wasn't necessarily this particular kind of, of instruction, regulation, was for governing authorities and not individual interactions. So even when, way back when, when this was originally given, it was for the government that did not exist in Israel that when they were going to dole out punishment on someone who had been arrested and tried and, and sentenced, this is the way the punishment was supposed to go. The punishment was supposed to fit the crime for the government ex exercising this, not for the individual. Well, they, you know, they took my hedge clippers, so I'm going to take their garden hose. Isn't it? I mean, it's not for us to dole out, you know, uh, a neighborhood uh, vigilanteism. Uh, you know, this kind of deal, this kind of thought, an eye for an eye, two for is supposed to be for the governmental authorities. But people then, as people now do as well, have taken it upon themselves and applied it to their own lives. Well, they did this, so I'm going to do that. Well, they said this, well, I'm going to say that, and I'm going to do this, and they're going to do that, and it's going to escalate and escalate and escalate until, you know, somebody gets in really big trouble. And so Jesus says, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Verse 39, but I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. Now, let's pause. We're pausing in the middle of the verse there. Do not resist the one who is evil. He's not talking Satan there. He's not talking, I mean, he's not talking about the evil one. He's talking about the one who is doing evil, the one who is sinning. And he says, don't resist him. That means actively oppose in thought or action. Do not oppose someone who's coming against you with evil actions or words. He says, do not oppose them. Now, hold up, Jesus. This, you don't know what you're talking about. You don't. This is, you're getting too, too personal here, Jesus. I'm not going there. And he, but he, he, he takes it a step further and gives some illustrations. The next part of verse 39. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Turn the other cheek. But what is he really saying? This slap that he's talking about isn't just like an open palm slap on your face. This is a backhanded slap. This is a visible, public insult. 
somebody insults you publicly in this way, Jesus is telling the crowd, take it and give them the other side. Don't slap them back. Don't. Don't. Now, he's, he's building to a point, all right? He's not just saying walk around and be a doormat. He's building to a point. So he's saying this backhanded slap, this, this public visible, visible insult, just leave it. Verse 40. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. Someone sues you and wants to, and now, the, again, the idea here is unjustly. They're, they're going to take me for what? Are you kidding me? Jesus said, don't just let them have what they're suing you for. Give them double. Now, Jesus, man, that's not right. This, is, this isn't fair. It's not fair. You know what my dad would tell me when I'd scream that out of the house? Dad, that's not fair. Well, life's not fair. Anybody ever hear that? <laughs> life's not fair. It's not. Well, here's Jesus. He's saying somebody insults you, let it go. Somebody sues you, give them more. Now look at verse 41. You're going to be glad you're not a Roman citizen here. If anyone forces you to go a mile, go with him two miles. Go the extra mile. This was a Roman mile. Roman mile was about 1,000 paces. And any Roman military personnel could make any Roman citizen do something for them, force them into labor for up to a thousand paces, up to a mile. They could say, this pack is too heavy, you carry this for the next mile, and at the end of that mile, find somebody else. The law said they couldn't force them to do more than that mile, that thousand paces. That's why this actually happens in Scripture. We see it, Simon of Cyrene carrying the cross of Jesus, that's what that was. They, made, they just grabbed somebody out of the crowd, a Roman citizen, and said, you carry this thing up this hill. And so he says, if somebody comes to you, this Roman military guy, and he's going to make you go a thousand paces a mile, totally disrupt your day, because you've got to go there and you've got to come back and you're all sweaty and nasty now because you were doing the work for him. He says, don't just go the mile, go one more than that. Go beyond what he's even, double what he's asking you to do. Even though it's unfair, even though it's unjust, even though it's not right, even though it's an unjust law, do it twice over. This is what Jesus tells these guys. Verse 42, give to the one who begs from you. Do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Now we hear these words from Jesus, I mean, at least I do, in, in, in first reading this, and I'm thinking, what in the world is Jesus asking us to do? Is he asking us just to lay down and let anybody have whatever they want? That's not what he's saying. What he's teaching is that there's something more important than offense or wounded pride. He's saying there's something more important than offense or wounded pride. Wounded pride and offense will last temporarily. There is something that will last eternally. And Jesus is saying that is more important. I mean, think about Jesus himself, right? Was there anyone that we have, that we know of in our mind who's ever been insulted in a more obvious way than Jesus? His own creation turned on him, said terrible things about him, falsely accused him, nailed his body to a cross, and killed him. The people he created with his own hands, as Psalm says, in their mother's womb. 
And as they're killing him, he has the love in his heart and redemption in his heart to say, Father, forgive them while they're doing it. They have no idea what they're doing. I don't have that kind of love. I don't know about you. Not just to be Jesus and say that, but to be God the Father and forgive. Would you forgive somebody who did that to your child? Your spouse? Your friend? No, I'd be rushing the thing, taking somebody down. This is nuts. Jesus says, forgive them. Because there's something more important than offense or wounded pride. Paul speaks about this very thing. We looked at it this past fall in Romans chapter 12, verse 17 and following. Paul writes, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Now look at what Paul, he says, repay no one. That's no one. Zero people. Somebody brings evil into you, somebody brings evil into your life, somebody says something about you, about your kids, about your family, about whatever, repay them, not in kind, in no amount. Because they're already introducing evil into the world by what they're doing, and so if we repay them with evil in kind, then we're introducing more evil into the world and just making it worse. This, this idea, though, he says, give thought to what is honorable. This is thinking about something ahead of time with the implied responding action. So we're giving thought to something about being honorable even to the person bringing evil. Even to that person, we're thinking ahead of time. We're giving intentional time, dedicating time, investing time of how we can honor that person. Look at what Paul says, verse 18. If possible... So far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. So Paul says that, that you can do everything right and they still may not listen. That's, don't worry about that. It's on you to live how you're supposed to. It's on you to follow Jesus. They're accountable for themselves. You're accountable for yourself. If you do everything that, that God desires of you to do, and that does not necessarily mean they're going to turn towards Jesus, but it's your job, your goal, your purpose to, to help them see Jesus in how you act towards that evil. So he says, live peaceably, do everything, introduce peace where there's turmoil. They may bring more turmoil, but that doesn't matter. You're just supposed to introduce more peace. Verse 19. Now, this, this one will get you. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. That was a sign of, of repentance. Somebody would walk around with a basket and coals would be in the basket on their head. They were showing the world, I am repenting from how I used to live, from how I used to act. So he says, by, by giving them food when they're hungry, by giving them water when they're thirsty, you're helping turn them towards repentance and redemption. Verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You overcome evil with good. You don't introduce more evil to, to make the first evil go away. The only way to make the evil go away is with good in your heart. Good through your actions, good through your words, good through your mind. Avenge no one. Never avenge 
yourself. Now, that's even when the vengeance is rightfully deserved. Even if you're Captain America and you're, you're Avenger, first Avenger, you're going out there. Even if it's rightly deserved, he says, never avenge yourself. Because remember, there's something more important than offense. There's something more important than, than wounded pride. And Jesus is going to get to that in a moment. What, what ends up happening, as he says, leave room for the wrath of God. Leave it for the wrath of God. As, I, as we've said before, that when we take matters into our own hands, we take them out of God's hands. And we're removing it from God. We're not allowing him to do what, 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 what he desires to do. You say, but what am I supposed to do in that moment? You follow him and follow his direction and follow his words. Don't follow your gut. Don't follow your heart. Scripture tells us the heart is deceitful above all else. Follow Jesus in that moment. And do what we see in Exodus 14, 14, right, Sally? The Lord will fight for you. You have only to be silent. And so we see, I mean, this, I mean, I mean honestly, it, I'm, I'm looking at this, and I'm thinking, man, this is just, this is hard. Not introduce, I mean, I get the, the concept of, not it, they introduce evil, don't repay with evil, don't be overcome by evil, overcome evil with good. I get that, but never avenge myself. What? Never fight, what? Live peaceably with it. Try to be honorable towards those. When I was studying this, an, an image came to mind this week. Micah, you come help me for a sec. Stand on one side of the table here. Got two glasses. One is clear, one is not so much. That's not grape juice, that it's it's black. It's not AI. Yeah. Which would you rather drink? Just Coke? Oh, it's definitely not Coke. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Got to clarify here. Uh, but in thinking about this, don't repay someone for evil, don't avenge yourself. I had a, an image pop into my mind. Anybody ever seen The Princess Bride? Princess Bride. Good. If you have not, you should. Um, but there's a scene in that movie between the Dread Pirate Roberts and Vecini. Uh, and, and they're sitting across from each other at a table. And they're supposed to be poison in one of the cups. Supposed to be, supposed to be in just one of the cups. I'm not going to give it away in case you haven't seen it. And so the, the idea is one is poison, one is not. And so one of the guys is, is supposed to switch the cups around to wherever they need to go. And then the other guy is supposed to choose which one to drink. And so here's the idea of not repaying evil for evil. It's as though Micah, in this scenario, you can be the Dread Pirate Roberts. All right, you live. Um, and uh, he gives me, slide that to my side, the bad cup. He gives me evil. He gives it to me. Just gives it. And so then I have the choice in that moment to give it back or to let him drink the good. He's given it to me. He, he, he gave, this is mine now because he gave it to me. And so I can then return the favor and pour it back in or I can let him have what's good. I can keep going with this and just pouring. I can throw it on him. I won't. 
I could throw it on him or, or just let him take what is good, even though knowing this is bad, even though knowing this is, will do me harm, which one am I going to do? Which one will I, inter- will I introduce more good into the world or will I introduce more evil into the world? Thanks, Mike. And so it's up to my reaction of how I follow in that faith of what I'm going to do with that in the moment. Repay evil for evil, avenge Myself, introduce love back, introduce redemption back, or bring retribution. You see, I can give redemption or retribution, but not both. I can introduce retribution or redemption, but not both. Either I'm following my own gut reaction, vengeable reaction, or I'm following Jesus. I can't do both retribution even mentally is an active decision to introduce more evil into the world i'm actively deciding to make it more evil in my house when i say those words of retribution back i'm actively choosing to introduce more evil into my workplace when i say those words back i'm act- i'm actively choosing to introduce more evil into my church when I say those words, when I think those thoughts. And so we have a choice there in the moment. Bring redemption, introduce redemption, or bring retribution back into the, more retribution, more evil into the world. Redemption actively heals the world. Redemption can actively heal the other person. Why do you think Jesus says they're overcome evil with good? Or or Paul writes there, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Overcome evil with good. The good you have in you through Jesus, through his spirit, can overcome any evil that is tossed against you, that is introduced into your life. Overcome evil with good. By introducing love, by introducing that redemption. Between retribution and redemption, Two vastly different concepts. One prevents growth. One stimulates growth. Retribution, redemption. One weakens, one strengthens. One, retribution, is a a can of gasoline and a match. It's immediately explosive. The other is a seed planted. It takes time. It's not immediate. It takes time pursuing and it brings life eternally when it's planted that means forgiveness offered that means eradicating bitterness and yes that may mean taking the insult because that leads right into what Jesus says next in Matthew chapter 5 verse 43 This isn't just two different teachings. These are two teachings that are part of the same thought here. Because Jesus had just said in Matthew 5, resist the evil. Oppose, or do not oppose the one who is evil. Do more than what they expect of you. For this reason, verse 43, you have heard that it was said, you will love your enemy, or you will love your neighbor and hate your enemy. 
But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. So he says, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. This is easy, right? Love your neighbor, love those who are good to you, love your family, hate your enemy, hate those who hate you. Hate them right back. Hate them back with your words. Hate them back with your thoughts. Hate them back with, with, with how you lit. Just hate them. Hate. It's like your rival. You, you just you can't stand them. It brings you physical pain to think good thoughts about them. Jesus said, you've heard it was said this way, but I say to you, let's switch it up. Love your enemy. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And then he says, so that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. You will look like the Father because that's what God did. That's what Jesus did on the cross in loving his enemies. He still desired the redemption of the guys who nailed him to the cross. He still desired the salvation of the guys who voted to kill him on the Jewish council. Jesus still wanted them to be redeemed. And he says to the crowd, Jesus says to the crowd, you want to look like God, that's what you do. You love them, you pray for them, because God makes the sun rise on the evil and the good, sends rain on the just and the unjust. He blesses the, la- the labor of both the believers and the unbelievers alike with opportunity for fruit. God's hand is extended to everyone, irregardless of what they say about God, what they think about God, or how they act toward him, he still extends his hand toward them, no matter how they've acted or said, or what they've said. Verse 46, for if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. So he says, if you love everybody who loves you, what good is it? I mean, everybody, that's easy. That's easy. It's like sending a Christmas card to the person who sends you a Christmas card, and you get one from somebody you didn't send one to, and you feel bad. That's why you keep a stack of extras, so you can write another one quick and pop it in the mail and and hit hit the one who sent you that you weren't expecting. He says, it's easy to, to be nice to those who are nice to you. He says, but to step it up on us, to be a follower of Jesus. Remember, he's talking about people to be a disciple of Jesus. What it looks like, it, it means loving those who don't act like they love you. I mean, loving those who want your life to be worse, or at least the way you perceive their interaction with you. That means love. Now, I know, I know some of your stories. I know some of you ha- have been dealt a bad hand in life. And you've had people come to you and do things to you, say things about you that are absolutely untrue and unfair. And I know it's very difficult to un- understand this concept of, or, or very difficult to, not to understand, but to live out this idea of loving those people. Those people who wounded you so bad that even the thought of that person's name 
is, is enough to make you mad for three days. But here's the thing. What that's doing, that is Satan. That is him giving you this. He's giving you the poison. Saying, drink up. Drink up. You keep looking at that person. You keep seeing that person in your mind's eye. Don't even pay attention. Just drink. Just drink. Just drink it. Just drink the poison. Just drink it. And, it, and it's seeping into your soul. It's the enemy messing you up. It's him messing you up. You can find freedom from that if you fall into the love of Jesus. Freedom from those thoughts. Freedom from that pain. Freedom from the mess. If you introduce love and forgiveness and redemption to where there was none before, everything will change for you. Your relationship with that person or that situation may not. They may still do what they do, or they may be gone, passed on, and you may not even have the opportunity. But the pain is still there because you haven't applied the love of Jesus to it. That's the medicine. And if you haven't applied the medicine, there can be no healing. So you've got to give it to him. He says, love, introduce redemption in this. Love everyone, anybody. Love those who love you, love your enemies, love anybody and everybody. Love them. And then he tosses in verse 48. Right? And we're reading all this. We're seeing, okay, you know, don't avenge yourself. Uh, don't repay evil for evil. Overcome evil with good. You do it through love. You, you overcome evil by, by, by love. And you do all this. And then he tosses in verse 48 and you say, Jesus, I was good with you up to verse 48. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Well, pff, ah, well, that's not going to happen. That's impossible, right? I can't be perfect. I can't be perfect like God is perfect. Are you kidding me? I'm not even going to try. I'll just keep doing what I'm doing. I'll do my best, you know, and, and I'm under the grace. I'm under the blood. Everything's forgiven. I'm good. I know I'm going to get to heaven and all this, but be perfect. Perfect. That's just impossible. I know people who are probably a little closer than I am. Now, again, when you think those thoughts, that's just what you're seeing of their life. That doesn't mean they are. I've heard, other, I've heard people in this church say, well, so-and-so's got it all together. They're just perfect. And I thought, you don't even know. You don't even know. We all have mess. We all have mess. And then when Jesus says, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect, there's a misunderstanding here. There's a misunderstanding. Remember, he said earlier, uh, that when we love those, when we love our enemies and pray for those who persecute you, you may be sons, in verse 44 and 45, sons of your Father who is in heaven. You will look like God. The word that's used here for perfect, the word that's used for perfect is different than the word perfect. I don't throw much Greek out at you, but I'm going to throw this one. I'm not going to say the word, but this is what this means in the original language. It means to be grown it means to be an adult. It means to be mature. So when he says, therefore, you must be perfect, he's saying you must be spiritually mature just like God is in his action. In his action. 
means be that. Reach for spiritual maturity as it is demonstrated by God. Grow up. Retribution is childish. He's saying grow up, and a grown-up acts in love. They don't fly off the handle at every little offense. They are mature and can handle it and move on in love. So he says, act grown up spiritually just as God demonstrates what it looks like to be a mature spiritual being. You see, we need to offer redemption because offering redemption is Christ-like. Living in love is Christ-like. If we are to grow up to the full spiritual maturity of Jesus, then we must learn the language of love. Now, the full spiritual maturity of Jesus, this isn't just some term I'm throwing at you. This is from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 13. Paul speaks about this. That as believers, we're supposed to encourage each other and help each other. He says, grow to the full spiritual maturity of Jesus. Jesus is... He is the pinnacle. He is what we're aiming for. That's what he's saying here about be like God. He's be like Jesus. The physical represent the physical uh, 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 visual for us to see of God, and he demonstrates what it looks like to walk a life pursuing God at every opportunity, being perfectly in God's will. Be like Jesus. Be like God. Act like Jesus. If we are to grow to the full spiritual maturity of Jesus, the full spiritual maturity of Jesus, we have to walk in the language of love. But if I'm being honest with you, too often I walk in the language of loophole. Try to, how, how can, you know, okay, I love them, but I, you know, I want this, I don't want them to die, God, but, you know, slash their tires or something. God, I, I, you know, I, want, I want something terrible to happen. Help them get sick just a little bit. God, you know, I walk in, I say, but I'm totally justified. We try to justify our actions and snake our way through our minds and try to get where we're going and, 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 and find a loophole to how we can feel justified uh, uh, to feel this emotion that's within us. I, I mean, maybe that's just me. Maybe that's not you guys. You, you don't speak the language of loophole. I do. Try to, I, I'm totally justified in saying what I'm saying. I'm totally justified in thinking what I'm thinking about that person. I'm totally justified in feeling this about that scenario and that situation and demonstrating this for my children and walking in this and saying this to the TV when that guy says that and doing this and that and posting this online. I'm totally justified. But what that's doing is, that is, is trying to find a loophole to justify my sinfulness. Maybe that's not you guys, that's just me. But to imitate Jesus, I need to learn to speak the language of love and be so familiar with it that it permeates everything. Has anybody ever taken a foreign language in school or just in the past? Or you downloaded a foreign language app trying to learn it? You know, when you do that and you so immerse yourself in that other language, you begin to think it and you even begin to write it as you're writing. I remember, I remember when I was in, in, in you know, Bible, Bible college and we were doing, we're learning Greek, I would start to write some of my English letters like Greek letters because it was just so ingrained in my brain. My roommate and I just were so, we had to, you know, study it all the time because it's hard. 
And, and I'd write my A's like an alpha, and I would do all this, and I said, I have to go back and fix it, you know, because it's not how you do it. When you're so immersed in it, it pours out in ways you don't even expect. And so to learn the language of love, that means immersing ourselves in Jesus, and he will pour out when we don't even expect it. It will, it will come out in our actions, at first, it may be a forced, you know, discipline. We, I gotta think love. I gotta think love. I gotta think. I gotta do that. I gotta think love. I gotta act love. I gotta act love. But the more we do it, and the more we immerse ourselves in Jesus, it will even seep into our brains, and we will start thinking in love. Thinking in love. Now, the brain, your your mind, and your heart will be the last ones to absorb the language of love. Because I mean, the physical, the action, and the words are one thing, but what's going on inside your head is a completely different deal. But if you immerse yourself enough in the language of love through Jesus, everything will change. Not just for those around you, but for you personally. You see, Jesus did not speak the language of loophole. He spoke the language of love. That's what he did to everyone. Everyone. I mean, I... It, boggles my mind, Jesus calling Judas and spending every day with him for several years, knowing full well that he's going to do what he's going to do. Even the night when Judas is going to go and, and, and betray him, it, to go get the mob, Jesus doesn't yell at him. Jesus doesn't say something mean to him. He just says, hey, go do what you're going to do. Love even up to the end. Love in how he speaks, in how he acts, in how he thinks. Love coming out in every element of who he is. That's how we're supposed to act. That's how we're supposed to pursue. Because Jesus loved me. And so I should love anybody. Jesus accepted me. So I should accept anybody. But in the same vein, if that's something you may need to do today, Jesus loved you. Jesus accepted you. Will you accept him? Will you believe that Jesus is God's son? That he died so all your sins would be forgiven? And then will you believe that he rose from the dead so you can live after you die? If you do believe that, then that is an acceptance of Jesus. That is, is inheriting eternity that can never be taken away from you. And your eternal life will begin now if you want to believe in Jesus. And so that's what I'm asking right now. Those, actually two questions. First, if you want to believe in Jesus, now is the time. Today is the day. Don't put it off. They say, oh, I can do it later. I can do it next time. No, we don't guarantee next time or later. Do it now. Seize the moment. Say, I want it now. I want to be a part of Jesus now. I want that, 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 that seed of eternity planted in me now. I want his Holy Spirit. I want to experience his power and his presence and his love now. Then now's the time. Now, believe now. Or, so if you need to come and believe in Jesus, I'm going to pray just to give you a heads up. I'm going to pray in just a second. And when I say amen, I want you to come and talk to me. 
Come and grab me. Mike is over here. He'll, he'll be, he'll, you grab him too. We'll talk. We'll pray. We'll celebrate what happens. You want to grab us after the service, you can do that. Or you're a little uncomfortable even with that. We got a little card on our website that says, I have decided. You can pop out your smartphone right now and say, and we'll call, we'll call you tomorrow and pray with you and celebrate with you. But if you need, like I need, as I've been ingesting this word from God, to learn the language of love. Maybe you need to come and you need to pray and you need to say, God, <laughs> too often I've been speaking the language of loophole and I need to drop that and I need to start speaking the language of love, even if that means wounded pride, even if that means offense, but allowing your good to overcome the evil within me. Introducing the language of love, introducing the language of redemption into a fallen world. If you need to come, maybe you need to grab somebody who's in this room and say, I am sorry. I'm sorry. Forgive me and pray with them. Then now is the time to do it. As I pray, it's time to learn love.